0: What is achievable at age? I think it's really important to have that visible and to have that pushed up because as we live longer and longer, things have to shift. Women are having more and more babies over 40. Women and men will be able to stay in peak condition for longer because we're living longer and that has to correlate. And I think that's really key to have an expectation of age that is massively shifted to what our parents would have had because we literally are staying younger longer.
1: Hello, and welcome to Interactions Thrivalism. I'm Toby Brown, Interactions Head of Marketing. And this week, I'm talking to Claire Lowson. Claire is the founder of Supermenopause. She's the woman behind the age-positive division at the brand consultancy propaganda. And she's on a drive to rebrand age, specifically to shift employees' perspectives on what older employees can bring to the workplace. It was a real eye-opener of a chat for me. Some technical issues meant we had a few hiccups with sound quality at the beginning. But Claire's so interesting, I don't think you'll notice. Claire, welcome to Survivalism, so nice to have you on. We're here today to discuss some of the work you're doing around shifting our perspective on an ageing workforce and some of the opportunities that presents a business. It feels like conversations around ageing and ageism and the associated things have really gained momentum over the past few years. A, is that true or is that just what I'm reading now, I'm getting a bit older? And B, if it is true, what's driving those conversations, do you think?
0: Well hello thanks for having me on I'm keen to talk about this always so no I don't think it's that you're older although it might be because I'm older too but I think that the workforce is aging I mean we know the population is aging so the workforce is aging and I've been listening to podcasts on this since 2012 so that's not a new knowledge. I think Added to that, we've now got the big rising awareness of menopause and the issues that that presents in the workplace. So the two things come together and you kind of get them dovetailing into one conversation. My take on it, which is intuitive, I guess, as much as researched, is that we've now got a generation who have been well educated and in work since they left education, perhaps unusually. I think the boomers, you had a lot more people staying at home than this generation. So because you've got people who've been in work for their whole career, they will stomach less a fall off of opportunity or status at a certain age, I think. So I think that's what's happening. People are kind of starting to really stand up and, you know, see what's happening and feel that it's wrong. And they are looking to what can be done about it. I think that's possibly compounded by some shifts from COVID-2 where a lot of people exited the workforce or were exited from the workforce. So again, you've got another element there coming into the mix. It's probably a combination of those things. It's a ripe time for change.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that I found interesting, some of the stuff you were talking about and some uh, your written work, is that the correlates between the younger people coming to the workforce and the older people in terms of they share some overlapping motivations and a willingness to discuss topics which maybe a few generations ago we wouldn't have. So what have you seen in that space? What are some similarities between the younger and the older people in the workforce?
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting, both the similarities and the opposite. So I think it was certainly way back in 2012, some of the work that I was listening to then made the point that the kind of plus 50 workforce were looking for meaning and purpose. They weren't looking for power and status or income so much anymore, and that they were at that point in life of wanting a degree of self actualization to really feel that they were contributing and, and giving something back. The, the kind of Gen Z people coming through now, so younger than 25, are definitely far more savvy about mental health. They also exhibit with much poorer mental health than any other generation, which is you know shocking and probably related to their being born into social media. They, yes, are prepared to bring kind of taboo conversations into the workplace. They're much more aware of gender, gender fluidity, some of those issues. They want work-life balance. So there is an overlap. I think where that becomes interesting for work is is the difference too. So because that generation are infinitely more kind of digital savvy they can educate the older workforce around that and we also know that's directly relevant to marketing particularly marketing to younger people or not just marketing to connecting with younger people about how you connect and equally because of this you know it's proven that they lack resilience that there's a degree of kind of of some feeling of them being owed something from having lost you know years with covid quite pivotal years for them there's um it's a big area there's proven to be some lack of kind of emotional intelligence around some of this what you know they're not wanting to work full-time for example they're coming into the workforce already saying that I don't want to work full-time I want a -a three-day-a-week role which is challenging for somebody just maybe in a kind of position where they need to learn and train and get up to speed so there are loads of things going on but you can completely see that when you know The saying goes, doesn't it, that youth is lost on the young because when you're older, you have experience, you have resilience. And I think if you pair those two things, what the older generation know, what the younger generation know, where they're both strong and where they're both weaker and kind of start to combine those, then you're only going to get gains. And as the workforce ages, it's important that we do keep those people in the workplace, but equally those people stay connected and valid and in tune and can kind of bring up the workforce coming up beneath them. So real benefits, I think, in in both generations sharing their experience and building a new kind of way of working together. And I think, you know, it's important that the older generation understand the younger generation in terms to kind of connect with That generation, both in work and in the consumer marketplace, and vice versa. It's impossible for a brand to talk to the 50 plus marketplace, which we know is massive. Forbes has said that the over 50 woman is the super consumer. She holds 97% purchasing power for a household. These women are not disappearing. They're actually, you know, they are the spenders and they're discerning and they care about what they spend on. And yet, brands are just not marketed to them. But it is impossible to market to them if you don't have people within your workforce who have those insights. So filling your workforce up with the young is not ever going to help you market to the biggest demographic that there is to market to, and certainly the biggest untargeted demographic to date. So You know, you can completely see what is needed there in bringing, I think, in bringing those two kind of areas together. Just quite by chance, we had a presentation at lunchtime about Gen Z, and it was an eye open to me. Some of the things that were coming across, like, you know, I've got no idea about some of this language they're using, and it is really critical.
1: um, What would be favourite examples of some Gen Z language?
0: Yeah, things like, you know, these kind of trends like cottage core and casual grandma. I
1: definitely feel like you're just making up words to (laughs) baffle me. I know,
0: I can't even remember them now. I've asked for the presentation, but really fascinating. I think some of the stats as well that TikTok's the biggest search engine that they use, they're not using Google. I think that's being disrupted by people using Amazon before Google as well. In many cases, that's all generations. So there is real disruption going on there, but certainly I'm not a TikTok user we catch up with all these things later don't we but
1: i'm not planning to catch up with mode. <laughs> the, <laughs> the,
0: the need i guess to be able to connect and add value to what each other are doing so i know from my experience in work that a digital presentation led by a gen z would be absolutely right in terms of his or her understanding of the marketplace and how to put that content across to the client and how to build that strategy for the client. A client will not be Gen Z. So the client, the C-suite client listening to that won't be Gen Z and will be really skeptical of that that, that kind of person's experience to deliver that, especially if it's a, a woman. Young woman, so I think that's interesting, and that's where you have to have. If I were in that meeting with that person, then I would have to add clout to her capacity to you know um, be plausible as a generational
1: translator, essentially.
0: Yeah, I mean, mad, isn't it? Because I was there, I mean, it doesn't feel that long ago, maybe it looks like it is, but not that long ago, I was also presenting to you know hundreds of people in my 20s with a lot of men around me, C suite men from the client, BT in 1K, is very, very worried about whether their audience would think I was too young to be credible. And that's the challenge of being a woman in the workplace, I think, you know, and whatever point of entry for a woman, wherever you are, there are challenges, you're either too young or too old, you're too pregnant or not, you know, it's like there are a lot of issues. So anyway, we digress.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to move Go on. on to those issues in the sex, specifically <laughs> the menopause. But I, I guess before we narrow down to that, What are some of the dangers? Say you're running an organisation or a business with a decent contingent of people who are slightly older in part of your workforce. What are some of the dangers you face if you just leave them to get on with it and fade quietly away if you're not trying to engage that demographic in your workforce?
0: Well, I think, would you leave them to get on with it? I think the issues are more that they're not being seen. And I don't think this is a double Gender thing, double gender. I don't know the stats for men. I know typically men struggle at this age as much as women in terms of, you know, the midlife thing, feeling like, you know, if I'm not going really where I where I want to go now it's probably too late to really get there so I've definitely heard cases from people in HR saying it's not women knocking on my door at this age that are really struggling it's men because right. maybe they've got university fees to pay or they've got children in private education and they suddenly wake up and think I'm 50 or whatever and I'm not actually gonna become the person I thought I was gonna be but I can't leave here now because you know where else would I go and I'm not going to achieve what I need here so a degree of I guess the kind of doldrums at that age group what do we do? that, yeah, good question. I think that requires some thought. For women, I think that the challenges are slightly different because I think, you know, women are Typically, you know, in society, not just in work, become much less visible over a certain age. You know, your your kind of attractiveness, your power, is linked to. Well, the two things are linked together. So, you know, once you there was the big case of the American TV presenter who was fired recently when she'd gone grey after COVID. A lot of people stopped dyeing the hair during COVID. This particular woman looks incredible. She's completely groomed, glossy. Looks incredible. But she was made redundant, and at, after the point of going great And there are emails discussing her. Why has she gone great Who let her make that decision? That's a terrible decision because she was a TV anchor. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I think there, you know, and in the UK we've got our own pattern of you know women not making it beyond a certain age. Strictly Come Dancing, Ar- Arlene Phillips. You know, you've got you've got kind of plenty of old men continuing in that role, but not the women. So I think there's, there are different things that play in terms of a perception of a woman's capacity at that age without adding in menopause. And then some of the things that they personally will be facing. And certainly this first came, menopause was first brought to me by a very big client, Kimberly Clark, who had an interim leader MD CEO I can't quite recall who was going through menopause and the I was on working with within the brand team and the brand team came to me to say we just don't know what to do you know if she's if she's having a hot flush when we're just about to kind of put her on stage for a really big presentation what do we do what do we do should she go on should she not and that's really interesting and that that debate was now probably about seven years ago and there was nothing happening and it wasn't discussed you'd obviously hope now to get to a point where you could say to somebody could go on stage and say you know so and so will be with us shortly take a break have a look on your phones five minutes meet back here and we'll be ready to start you know so you would if it's kind of there's a degree of acceptance and trust within the business you would be able to manage it like that but all of these things are coming into play that obviously for a woman going through some of the physical symptoms that stress or a public appearance like that may, might exacerbate then it becomes challenging and it becomes front of mind and that's all good reason not to let women be in senior roles.
1: So can we dig into some of those things that happen a and for a start when we started discussing the menopause you have to crack me with my terminology because my definition was wrong i think so just clarify the the terminology for me again
0: yeah so so the word menopause actually is just one day so a woman has her menopause that is the day that is 12 months after her last period so when you've gone 12 months without having a period you're in menopause so that's a wobbly term because i think we use it to be a catch-all the real issues for women are around perimenopause which starts typically in the mid 40s, so around 44, 45, 46, that is when the hormones start to change and to drop off. And that is when they it can wreak havoc on your life. Most people, a lot of people haven't heard that term, it's becoming much more common now. And then people don't understand it. And that that's the problem, not just for women, but for GPs, because it's known to be quite poorly educated even for GPs this doesn't play a big part in basic GP training so depending on your GP's interest or your practice's interest you may or may not get somebody who understands it so really at that point when you are in perimenopause it might be that you have symptoms like anxiety, brain fog, forgetfulness, low energy, low mood And you would not know what was going on. So that can often mean that a GP then, in dealing with that woman, prescribes antidepressants. Antidepressants don't work for hormonally um, driven changes. So you're in a double whammy of thinking, what on earth's going on with me? I've never, ever had mental health challenges before. Suddenly I'm finding I've got mental health challenges. I've been prescribed antidepressants. They're not working. So I must be seriously bad. And so it goes on. And it's a downward cycle.
1: And I guess in parallel to that, you're probably at a position in your working life where you're really experienced. You're probably in the sort of role you've always wanted to be in. You're almost at the peak of your abilities in some senses, and then getting all of that pulled back on the other side by the issues you've mentioned. And How do women tend to react to that in the workplace when perimenopause hits? What are the patterns you see in behaviours and that happen after that?
0: I think a lot of the stats show that women, you know, they take more sick leave, they don't go for promotion. They lack of confidence becomes a real thing. Generally, not feeling up to the job, questioning whether they're up to the job, which may then drive leaving. So the statistics show a vast amount of women leaving. A lot of people, you know, putting in their extra sick days and certainly not going for promotion. So all of those really damaging both to her career and to the business, and certainly. You know, if you think of the point at which she would then leave if she did leave, at the yeah, probably at the highest point yet of her earning capacity with pension payments going in, you know, there's a lot to lose if you lose because of something that could be helped. Certainly a GP that I work with who's a menopause specialist says that when people come to her, she runs a private clinic as well as her NHS work because the waiting list is so long with the NHS. When people come to her in the private clinic, she says, I mean, and she does this. She works me on corporate work all the time and says, you know, to these corporates, these women are broken. By the time they arrive at me, they're broken. They've gone, you know, they've lived with us for so long. So it's not good enough and things have to change. And I think that is a mix of, you know, public perception shifting and just more education. I mean, education for the women, because you're obviously able to tackle something better, if you know what's coming. And you're more able to ask your GP for the right help if you know what's going on. And I think that's generally the advice given. You need to go to the GP and tell the GP what you need, rather than what you would normally do, which is to go to the GP and let the GP dictate the next action. It's definitely the opposite way around in this.
1: More agency and empowerment in your approach through education. Uh, Obviously, it costs a huge amount for a business to replace somebody at that level and there's a lot of reasons why businesses should engage with menopause as an issue and at supermenopause you see that as an opportunity to like power up your business and level it up essentially so talk me through your approach to that and how how you view that and how you communicate that to the businesses you work with.
0: So it can work in many ways I think we would say that because of this the woman over 50 is the, is the fastest growing workplace demographic in the UK. So as we've said before, not people that you can afford to lose. So my feeling on it within the work that I do is a twofold thing for a business, is to look at it as an internal issue, an opportunity, an opportunity and to look at it as an external issue, an opportunity. So we also know that this, you know, this woman represents a massive consumer marketplace. So if your business is selling products and services that could be targeted or signposted more effectively to this audience, then you need to be tapping into your internal insight to understand that properly. So it becomes a virtuous circle. And to help that happen, I think inside the business you then shine a light on this. So for me, it's not about having a menopause policy, or some kind of stuff that the woman has to dig around on on the internet to try and find the policy or the guidance to try and find someone to talk to in HR or in DNI. It's not an HR issue; it's a business issue, and I think any kind of business worth their salt now would be looking at, you know, what opportunities are presented to us by thinking of this age group differently, men and women, thinking of, you know, shining a light on these women who we want to keep. We know that gender balanced boards are successful for business. McKinsey did research about six years ago that showed that of the nine most powerful leadership behaviours, women naturally have do seven of them more. So women right. naturally exhibit seven out of the nine top leadership behaviours. So women in leadership are really key to a business, and you can't afford to have them drop off at that most impactful point. So I would say on your very basic level in a company, it's something that you want to campaign around. So yes, you want all your policies to be there, you want the physical adjustments to be there, you want the kind of mental health support to be there, all those things in the background. In the foreground, I would be running an internal comms campaign around this, building your employer brand around this, you know, about the opportunities for all ages and certainly when considering some of the challenges of Gen Z that we've discussed some of the challenges of millennials who are facing burnout there is currently quite a short lifespan for women in work and they have to pack a lot into that because first we have to prove that they're mature enough and grown up enough to do the job and then they have to kind of Get to a certain level before they have a baby and then they've got to have their children and then come back and perform again. and then perimenopause hits. So it's a lot to pack in. and I think that by businesses recognizing that you're on a constant upward trajectory, there isn't a glass ceiling. We are really spotlighting that at age you will come into your power. It makes the whole process expansive for all age groups and it takes the pressure off those younger age groups who are currently struggling. And it gives them space and scope to work out where they fit in and what value they add. And at the same time, you are then starting to think about whether your industry could be innovating into this marketplace, which is completely underserved, whether you're a bank or whether you're a clothing manufacturer or whether you're a food manufacturer. There are opportunities within this marketplace. And I'm being approached now by food Brands, by kind of chemists, by ingredient brands. There's all kinds of people that recognize that, you know, targeting an aging population is really important. And McKinsey put out a big study a couple of months ago about the fact that people are living now the longest they've ever lived, and they're also spending the biggest proportion of their life in poor health. That's a massive shift, really. You know, we can't have that. The world can't be having greater longevity, but the biggest percentage of life in poor health. We can't sustain that, and it's not—it's not good for anybody. So that would would seem
1: like the one marker of are things okay, wouldn't it? Like, how what proportion of your life do you spend in good health and happy, and if that's decreasing, that seems—it's
0: completely wrong. So, and then think of the impact of that on the coming generations, on health services, on. Uh, everything. So I think in terms of a marketplace, we know it's there. In terms of a need to do things differently, we know it's there. And certainly McKinsey, we're using COVID as a, an example of, you know, yeah, the world. the world has always said that it can't pivot fast, but we know it can. And that this is the next area where it has to pivot fast to see that, you know, we have an aging population. We've got to serve, service them better in terms of education, in terms of products and services, in terms of the way that they're perceived. And we know that countries that Really revere and respect age, have healthier older people and have greater longevity. It pushes back against that because, of course, if you feel more and more value, the more and more power you can do very well, and that applies to the workplace as well. But if you feel like you kind of started to realize that you're a bit invisible, you know, all kinds of things like we just said, you know, if suddenly the whole conversation is around digital and TikTok and this and that, that you kind of it's not your natural habitat. quickly start to feel a bit redundant so you know it's really about marrying the value of all these different points in life really
1: looking say i'm a ceo of an organization of a thousand people and i've decided right this is an issue we're going to engage with what would be some really practical steps so obviously it talks about hot flushes and things like that to do with the menopause what would be some practical considerations that could help instantly could help some people every day.
0: I think talking about it, setting up forums for people to talk about it. I know a lot of people say that as soon as something's on the agenda, people breathe a bit of a sigh of relief that they can actually talk about it. So starting the conversation is good. Educating the workforce is good. We would advocate for all organisation education so that line managers, men, younger women all know how to talk about it. That's helpful. Educating women about what's happening to them, of course, is massive because a lot of them don't know. And in fact, on every single corporate event that I do, there's usually a doctor in the room and it's usually the doctor that's hit with all the questions people have and people ask the same questions over and over and over and I've been in these things for several years now and I think oh my goodness people are still asking these same questions they're questions that can be answered in a variety of Facebook groups that you know you could google but they're being asked because I'm in an echo chamber where we're all talking about this but of course you realize over and over again that the vast majority of women of this age and in work don't know about it so I think education is key and then you know setting up some kind of daring group within the business to to take this on and think of it as a point of innovation if we can think of this as a lever to do things differently. And that's for the women and for the organisations that I would say, you know, there are points in life when you really have the opportunity to take stock and do things differently. And certainly this is a good age at which to do that for men and women, but of course for women, you're going through a physical transformation it is worth thinking about how I hit this at my best. And so we would advocate for women of the right age that, you know, you do want to retain and keep being given the opportunity to get some, get onto a coaching programme, a transformation program that really helps them, you know, get into their best physical and mental space. And then you can feed that back into the organization. So you would get a kind of virtuous loop of intelligence, because then they might be saying, well, actually, look, we're exactly the business that could be talking to this marketplace differently. And like I said, I think that's relevant, whatever your business, you know, there are interesting opportunities to engage with this consumer audience differently as well. Or a B2B. I mean, you know, it's relevant both ways.
1: Yeah. And we, as interaction with design and build offices, what would the perfect workspace uh, If you could design one from scratch to be super inclusive of the needs of the everyone we've just talked about, what would that look like for you?
0: I think for me, you know, perfect workplaces are perfect workplaces for everyone, aren't they? So definitely you want, of course, you want access to fresh air, you want access to water, you want access to loo's, you want a a culture where it's free, people can move around. Women of this age have definitely really um, welcomed, you know, flexible working, working from home. If you want to, if you've not slept all night, you're definitely going to prefer to work at home. And equally, people like being back in the office and having that kind of interaction. I think cultures of inclusivity are cultures where people come together and talk. For me, I'm sure you feel the same. You know, a good workspace has as much space for, uh, you know, collaboration and shared working as it does separate desks. All of that, I think, is really important. I I worked for a company called Imagination that were a great business that were ahead of their game really in terms of design and you know, a time when Pixar was really on the map and Google's offices were all in the press. And we had a building that was an old school and it was built across a playground, effectively. But the the playground had been left open. So we had a kind of five-story atrium space with nothing in it. Most people would fill that up and put desks on it because you're going to get your square foot value back. But there were then metal bridges that crisscrossed across that atrium space and that we did have to cross because water machines were on one side, loose were on the other, coffee was yeah. in one place, meeting rooms were on the other. So there was, and then we had a bar slash lunch, slash restaurant, breakfast downstairs. So in that And we had a gym. In that space, it was a lot of walking around. Now, that's very different to the kind of office where, you know, you lose a right by your desk, the water cooler's right by your desk. God forbid that you wander around or talk to anybody or mix with any other departments. And I've worked in that that their office, Imagination and another company, which I won't mention close by, similar size building, similar area of London, similar number of employees. But the second one, you went up in a lift, the doors open, the reception desk was there with the number of your floor. So you knew I'm going to floor four. Yes, that's floor four. It was then completely intimidating to step out of the lift onto that floor and walk to see the person that you were looking for, because you never stepped foot onto that floor normally. And it was just packed with desks. And I found that, it was a real learning, you know, to see the difference. So I am kind of all for this idea of like Pixar put all their loose together and everybody had a Segway scooter to get there because you know, I mean, anything that drives intergenerational or inter-team collaboration and discussion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We have,
1: there's also conversations we have that we have occasionally around the the nuanced sort of gendered areas that build stuff like the temperature of the building at all times, because men and women have got different temperatures they're comfortable at. And as a default, it's often set at the most comfortable temperature for men, stuff like that. So once you get into those little areas, there's lots to unpick, isn't there? It's amazing. How do you, when you have individuals, because you do coaching as well, around menopause, when an individual comes to you, and we'll, we'll wrap up in a couple of seconds, but just really good to get an idea of how them reframe that on an individual basis. How do you sort of talk people through that on a
0: one-to-one level? I think it's about helping them look at it differently. I mean, if somebody comes and they're definitely feeling that, oh, gosh, I'm getting old, it's about reframing it. I mean, I, you know, I've had my children very late in life. And there is a statistic that says when you've had a child over 40, you're 60 percent more likely to live to be 100. And I guess that's why is that? Because you your aspirations change, you need to be around longer for them, you're generally mixing with people perhaps younger than you, you're just working on a slightly different level I guess in terms of relation to, to where you sit. So there's something there about your expectations at age and I would always push back on people who are starting to narrow their expectations or fall into the habit of well you know I am 50 so what to you expect I think is about raising the bar on what's achievable and people like I know there's a lot of pushback some people say it's not right that Davina McCall's posing in a bikini and you know calling everyone to join up to her fitness program but equally I would look at her and think well that's really good because there's nobody else of that age for me to look at I mean, we, uh, we see role models around us all the time when we're younger there's nothing when you're older and I it's not about the physical look but the fitness you know what is achievable at age I think it's really important to have that visible and to have that pushed up because as we live longer and longer things have to shift women are having more and more babies over 40 women and men will be able to stay in peak condition for longer because we're living longer and that has to correlate and I think that's really key that to have an expectation of age that is massively shifted to what our parents would have had, because we literally are staying younger longer. There's also a very big difference in your kind of chronological age and your biological age. So, you know, you you and somebody else of the same age, one of you could measure in having a biological age much younger than the other because of lifestyle issues, because of genetic issues. So I suppose it's about having a more positive an aspirational scope for yourself that's right for you because it's not going to be yeah. the same for everybody
1: that, that reminded me then of uh, i went to a 60 year olds birthday party with my mum who well, i think she just hit 80 and the 60 year olds were all in cardigans and all quite dowdy and my mum had dyed her hair and had big gold jewelry on and stuff <laughs> and about an hour into it she grabbed my arm and went get me away from these old people I was <laughs> like you're 20 years older than now, mum," but it's just uh, an attitude of age should be like isn't it and a mindset when you decide for yourself
0: that's really key my analogy is always that you know the guy when the first guy Roger Bannister ran the four minute mile people said it wasn't achievable but then he did it and now loads of people do it you know it's about perception once you know that something's achievable you achieve it if someone's telling you all the time or society's telling you all the time you're old at 50 or you're old at 60 then you will be. And so I think really that's where brands have a massive role to play in playing back all the kind of glamour and sexy positives and power and status and, and, you know, greatness of age, because it's all there. It's just that we don't brand it effectively. And I know that there's a real backlash to some of this, certainly with menopause, with people saying, oh, this is kind of men washing, you know, it's exploitative. I completely disagree. I think it's about women being visible older people being visible having choice having we need choice because we have different needs at this age and you know I I always think we, you know when a woman's pregnant we serve them well and they are you know targeted for different products and different supplements and different all kinds of different things that they may or may not need and we don't see that as an issue we recognize that change menopause is just the same it's a biological change which drives an emotional change and you know there is value in making sure that all of the symptoms are met and serviced all of the emotional challenges are met and serviced and that as a general area of branding that it, we rebrand age to be what it is you know the greatest place to be
1: I think that is a lovely note to wrap up on Claire thank you so much Um if people want to find out more about what you do where can they find you where should they head
0: Oh, if they can head to me via LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. Yeah, LinkedIn might be the best place to to find me.
1: Perfect. We'll put a link to that in your show notes if you want. you see a whole two or three people come and click on your profile, I should imagine. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. I'm sorry about the technical delays at the beginning, but it's been such an interesting conversation for me. So Perfect. thank you so much having for having me. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Cheers. Really enjoyed that chat with Claire there. If you enjoyed it too, give us a decent rating on your platform of choice and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.